Business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Thank you so much for joining us. On the line, we have Bianca Buertas, who is an Executive Director at Peregrine Treasury Solutions. Bianca, welcome to Kai FM. Good afternoon, Avi, to you and your listeners. Great. Uh, Bianca, we're going to do our best here. I'm not sure if technology is playing a ball today, but let's see what we can get into. First of all, just to congratulate you on the most brilliant press release. Um, I read a lot of these things, and this one was really, really superb. Um, not that I expect less from you, but it was just comprehensive, put everything in perspective, and really went through all the details that one needed to know in order to look at the, the, the currency and its movement. But, Bianca, at the end of the day, let's maybe jump to the end of the release, where you said that we would suggest making use of any rand ready to fill up on foreign currency requirements. This was written a few days ago on the 5th of October. Is that still your opinion, that the way the RAND's weakness is temporary? I mean, I definitely think that the RAND rally is going to be temporary. Um, currently, we are benefiting from a, from dollar weakness um, with the uncertainty in the U.S. currently with regards to the um, – the presidential elections coming up and we're really benefiting from the market expecting additional stimulus from the Federal Reserve as well as from um, Congress in terms of fiscal stimulus. However, when we start looking at a period beyond that and we start focusing on South Africa as a whole and we get rid of all this hype surrounding the cheap money in circulation as a result of all the stimulus, we do realize that South Africa is actually on very fragile ground with regards to our sovereign um, debt situation. And with budgets coming up as early as next year, February, um, the RANS rally might be limited. You know, at the end of the day, we all know that before COVID hit us, we were in recession. We were, we, we were in deep trouble before it came. All of a sudden it arrived. And in my opinion, the way the government's handled the COVID um, scenario, they've been efficient, they've been effective, they've been criticized, but we've really been good if you compare it to countries around the world. Has that maybe also given the country, even though people have suffered, given the country a bit of a positive outlook because government seems to have had the COVID pandemic in hand. I think when investors start looking at South Africa, the way government handled COVID um, is less important than exactly how safe their money is and the yields they could secure. Uh-huh. So from a local sentiment perspective, absolutely. I think, you know, we can applaud government in their efforts to save lives as well as trying to preserve the economy. Um, the reality, however, remains that we will see a contraction of about 8% in terms of GDP year on year. And even before COVID, we were struggling to actually muster economic growth, to muster employment. Um, and the debt crisis, as well as our inability to really 
bring the government wage bill down, for instance, the battling SOEs. These problems have been years in the making, and we're actually looking at structural issues rather than just pandemic issues. And I think, you know, as this whole pandemic plays out over the next, um, or the course of the remainder of this year, we're definitely going to see investors turn their attention to the fundamentals at play. You know, I'm almost trying to think of an analogy while you were talking. It's almost like the foundations of the building are crumbling, but we got sidetracked with the color of the paint that we should put on the walls. And uh, now that the paint job's done, we need to go back and realize that if we don't show up those foundations, we won't have uh, paint color to enjoy or to look at going forward. But are our problems so systemic and so deep that they are fixable and therefore our currency is savable or are we really looking down the barrel of the gun for the next foreseeable future? I think that definitely the South African problems are solvable. Um, the currency definitely savable. I think even at these levels, we are still performing really well um, in terms of, of emerging markets. However, we will need to actually come up with more than just a brilliant economic growth plan. And we have to start focusing on how do we deploy that efficiently and effectively to make sure that we get the growth we need to see the reform in government budgets, for instance, that we need to see to start growing the economy. Unfortunately, policy always has a lagging effect. So we can come up with brilliant policies this year to say this is how we're going to turn the economy around. And we've seen some of those plans come from National Treasury as well as from the presidency. However, now we need to move to the phase where these plans are actually put into action, executed, um, and then even after that, it will take at least another year or so to start seeing the effects of these positive changes that's been made. So I think as long as government realizes the urgency of these reforms, we are definitely still savable. You know, Bianca, I'm listening to you speak, and I'm thinking it's, you know, it's almost as simplistic as you waking up one morning, walking into your garden and saying, we're going to redo this garden. And you get the landscaper in and you get a plan and you get a budget and you ex. And then at the same time, I'm looking at News 24 headlines about the corruption that's going on. And we're talking about an 85 million rand mansion for one individual paid for by you and me. So what we've seen, especially with the new government coming in under the new president, Sol Ramaphosa, is that we all hope that the, the, the Ramaphosa euphoria that came in would last. It didn't last. It lasted a very short period of time. It's totally disappeared and dissipated. And now we're stuck in the quagmire that we've had for the last 10 years. We can come up with all the plans we want, but if the current leadership can't turn this ship around, then we headed for a very bleak future. Um, have I summed it up too bleakly or is that accurate? I mean, that is absolutely spot on. Unfortunately, corruption is a plague in this country, and it's been plaguing this country for the past 10 years, as you've correctly pointed out. Um, we're definitely going to have to see strict measures from government to, to erode corruption and also going to have to see the guys involved in corruption actively pers- um, um, prosecuted. 
because at this point, you know, if it's like almost like a naughty child, if there's no discipline coming in and there's no consequence, what's going to deter them from doing it over and over and over again? And, and thus far, we've seen very little consequence. Um, so government's really going to have to take a harsh stance on corruption if they want to see these plans being successfully implemented and actually lift the country out of the economic turmoil that it's currently in. Great. Bianca, thank you. Let's take a quick break. We need to run to the shops quickly. Please hang on the line. I know it hasn't been great. But, uh, Craig, if you can play some ads, we'll come back to Bianca Burtis in a moment. This is RV on Business. Bianca, let's go back to something that I, I, I thought that you really spelt out very nicely. And that's the idea of stimulation or stimulus in an economy, whether it's, whether it's fiscal or monetary, together with inflation. So just to, you know, my take of it is that what we really need, simply, we need the Burtis family and the Kate family to spend more money in the economy. The more money we spend, or the more money we earn, the more tax we pay, the more money we spend, the more we generate turnover of cash, which allows people to use that money to create employment. And then the cycle starts to go. And by doing that, <coughs> eventually we all push up inflation because of demand and supply. So the more we want, the higher the price will become. Does South, have, does South Africa have the arsenal? to create a fiscal and a monetary stimulus to do what I've just described? Unfortunately, you know, the government is quite constrained in their ability to deploy additional stimulus. I mean, even the 500 billion rand package that we saw in terms of the COVID relief was really more a realignment of existing resources than a creation of new resources. Um, you know, like deferment of tax payments, moving money around in terms of the budget. But the actual number of, or, uh, number of rands and cents in circulation remain the same. Um, from a monetary perspective, so looking at the Reserve Bank and what they are able to do, we've seen a couple of interest rate cuts. As you rightly pointed out, um, interest rate cuts normally lead to inflation hikes. So we need to be very careful in, in how much we drop that interest rate by. Because the moment that you start seeing demand picking up, inflation can very quickly run away with you if you don't keep a, a close eye on it. Then we get to one of the probably the biggest problem in the South African economy when we start looking at deploying stimulus is that in order to create demand, you need people to have confidence to go out and spend their money. That in order for them to do that, they need to have the confidence that next month a paycheck is going to come in, that they're going to be able to pay um, all the debt obligations that they have, put food on the table, and then also you know have enough left over to go to the movies or to get some takeout for the kids or whatever the case might be. As it stands, and unemployment in South Africa is significantly high. We currently rate it as the country with the highest youth unemployment um, in the world. And then looking at that, you're going, okay, but how can people who are uncertain of their futures, uncertain of a of, of paycheck next month, uncertain of job security in the current environment, actually have that confidence to go out and spend. And that lack of confidence actually reflects in our private sector credit numbers that's been on the decline. So we're really seeing an inability to afford 
spending on debt, but we're also seeing an inability for households to continue consuming at the same pace they've been consuming at. So, you know, the bottom line is that we're not, we, the interest rates are the lowest they've been for a long time. That is to help people sort of just to allow people to pay less on their current debt. And that also has a negative, a negative spin-off on the other side that those who are sitting in fixed deposits are getting less for their money. Um, but ultimately what it's really about is trying to get people to um, just be more careful with their money and therefore also create an ability to spend money should they want to. Are we going to have an inflationary environment going forward within the next six months, do you think? Or is it going to be quite benign from here on? I think we're going to see benign inflation. So we've already ticked up above the 3% mark again after dropping to the lowest in history not too long ago. So we're currently sitting at about the 3.1-3.2% mark, which is at the bottom of the and um, that, the, that the Reserve Bank targets, so that band being between 3 and 6%. Um, I think, you know, low to moderate inflation for, for definitely the rest of the year. And we'll only start looking at really starting to hike interest rates again, probably in the next year or so. Um, but whether the Reserve Bank has enough ammunition and enough room to maneuver in terms of reducing interest rates further, I can't see them cutting it by much more than an additional 25 basis points without actually starting to tread that line um, and overstepping that boundary where we could potentially face um, inflation or high levels of inflation in coming years. Um, what we also need to be cognizant of is that South Africa is quite reliant on portfolio inflows. Um, and that is basically foreign investors coming into South Africa, investing into South African bonds, for instance, and looking for that yield return because we offer higher interest rates than the rest of the world. Currently, those inflows are the lowest it's been in decades, but we are still seeing a consistent flow of inflows. Should we cut our interest rates too low, we actually take away that competitive edge, and that can also be very detrimental to the RAND. It's almost like the South African government, the Minister of Finance, the Reserve Bank, uh, is damned if they do and damned if they don't, because it's almost there's nowhere to turn, so to speak, except for some magic wand to create stimulus in the economy by creating employment and therefore creating some sort of um, recovery of the economy. But let's leave things as they are, and let's say what you know, nothing really major changes. The question is. The money that the government has now allocated via COVID to the, to the, to the country, we had, I must say, in my terms, a, almost a typical South African reaction when you take the amount of billions of rands that was going to be put into the economy, divided by the, mem- the, m- the number of people in the country, everybody thought they were going to be getting a deposit in the bank account, but that's clearly not going to happen. Has First of all, if you could just tell us briefly what the government did with that stimulus, how they tried to use it, and in hindsight, has it been successful? So basically what we saw in terms of that 500 billion rand package um, that government announced was that instead of, as South Africans expected, we're going to all get a nice little lump sum into our bank account, They've actually gone and allocated money that was that was actually purposed for things like infrastructure, education, 
and and so forth, and they've reallocated it in the health sector and into COVID response. So in effect, what they've did there is they've actually just spent less on one portion of the economy and increased spending on health and then the COVID response. So it's the same amount of money that they budgeted for in terms of government expenditure. The second thing that was quite significant that they did is they went and they did an underwriting program as such where businesses could go to the big banks and loan money from the big banks and the banks would, or the government would actually guarantee those loans to the banks. So small business owners who doesn't necessarily have sufficient balance sheet could apply for these loans to save their businesses. What we saw, however, is that some of those application processes were so cumbersome that a lot of businesses actually didn't apply for those loans or couldn't get access to it because of the nature of the requirements. And so I think a very good effort from government, but whether it is enough to sustain the economy or to actually turn the ship around, we'll need to dig a little bit deeper and come up with more constructive ways of actually cutting down on government spending um, so that we can start restructuring those debt obligations and actually reduce the amount of spending we're doing on servicing debt and obviously the wage bill, which is a big portion of, of the um, budget at this point. So definitely a lot of work that still needs to be done on top of that, that stimulus that government released. Um, you know, Bianca, so this, I know we, we, we wanted to end because the line's so poor, but my lines are absolutely flooded. So there's two main queries that are coming in. Two main questions that are coming in. People want to know, is this the time now to really buy and hold foreign Currency. I absolutely think that as long as you can get levels below 17, I would consider it a good buy. Currently, if we look to year to average rates, um, the current average Rand dollar exchange rate is 17.42 for the year. So if you buy below that, you are outperforming the market year to date. And then also on top of that, if we then say the rest of the year was an anomaly due to COVID and we say, let's look at rates over the past three months, for instance, which we can consider to be the new normal, the average rate there is 16.80. So then the argument can be made that anything below 16.80 is a brilliant buy. Um, what they need to be careful of, though, is the margin that is charged on top of exchange rates. So you might see on your cell phone, on whatever application you're using, that the market's currently trading at 1661. Consumers just need to be careful and understand that that is not necessarily the rate that they are going to pay at the bank. And they might actually end up paying 1670 or 1680, um, depending on the volume and the, and the, the supplier that they use. Um, and if we consider that markets or we consider 1650, for instance, as fair value, we can assume that the RAND will struggle to hold on to any level below 1650. So really, you know, if you have access or, if you are, for example, if you're going overseas and you can um, get um, and you can get foreign currency, I would rather you'd rather take the chance and buy it now so that you've actually locked in 
the rate that is now because the future is quite uncertain. There's a lot of uncertainty in the market. And what we know about the, the South African rand is that it tends to weaken a lot quicker than it strengthens. Um, when markets are uncertain, when markets are a bit on edge, we tend to see that they sell off risky assets or emerging market assets. And that basket includes the rand. So, I would be very wary of getting too greedy, waiting to go back to 15, for instance, because risk sentiment can turn very quickly and the RAND can move against you rapidly. A hundred percent. I almost feel it's like, almost like the RAND slides down a hill and then it, it, it founds its footing somewhere and then it slowly, carefully, slipperily climbs its way back up to some sort of plateau. And that becomes the new norm, and then it slides again. And those slides and regains can be anything between a slide in two, three weeks, and the regain can take the same amount of time, some amount of number, but in months. So a two-week slip can take three months to recover. A good example was last week, for instance, where there was a lot of fear about the UK and Europe potentially going back into lockdown due to an increase in numbers of COVID cases and them obviously entering the um, winter season. Um, and markets got so panicked that we actually saw the RAND lose close to 5% in literally a couple of days. Uh, it's just quite incredible to see. Bianca, before I let you go, what everybody's also asking, and I'm not sure, I know it's not your portfolio, but if they are sitting in, um, they do have exposure to equities in their portfolios. And um, they've got, you know, they've got still got time in their investments. It's not that they're going to be cashing out shortly. Are we looking at a bumpy ride going forward and, and should they be more conservative or is this the time to maybe increase your equity holding? I think offshore equities at this point is always a good call. Um, like you rightly pointed out, it's not really my field of expertise. Um, but we've actually seen quite stable increase in, in equity portfolios, especially looking, you know, to the dollar denominated ones. So definitely a much better type of investment than holding your money in a bank account in South Africa, for instance. Over the long, over the medium to long term. Over the medium to long term, yes. You need to remember equities, there will always be a risk. There will always be movement, but you are likely to see quite good returns, you know, taking a three to five year view, for instance. Fantastic. Bianca, my apologies. I'm usually used to having you in studio and we can talk a lot longer and just flesh things out, but I appreciate you making the time. And I'm really sorry we had uh, sort of set time till quarter two, but the line's really, really poor. So thank you for coming on and uh, drive safely and everything of the best. Thank you, Avi. Great. Good. There was Bianca Buertis from Peregrine, someone who's been on the show a few times before, always very, very free with the time and very, very generous with the knowledge. Just to let you know that um, next week we're going to be talking gold, and more specifically, we're going to be talking gold mining. One of the senior um, CEOs of one of the older mine companies has actually asked to come on to the show to explain, to position to just let the listeners know and investors know what's happening in that area. And one thing I'm going to be quite firm on is I told them I want to discuss wages and I want to discuss salaries. Um, and the difference between the two is I want to know what the lower income earners are earning and I want to know what the senior people are earning. 
and to nail my colors to the mast. I don't care what a CEO earns. And I don't care what the people underneath him earn. Because the responsibility that, at that level is absolutely enormous. And one must be, you know, compensated, um, and remunerated in, in commensurate with the effort and the responsibility that goes into it. But at the same time, my personal feeling is that there's a lot of media distortion about salaries at the lower end of the mining food chain. And I do believe that people coming in with no skill, no experience, maybe a criminal record, no education, are given jobs that earn healthy salaries, and are given accommodation, are given, more importantly, exposure to possibilities and opportunities to grow. And again, that is my experience. What I'd really like to know from them, if that's really the case. We know what the media has portrayed, and I'll do some research on that, and I'll present those figures. But what I really want to know is, is the the scenario as bleak as the the media says it is down on the ground? Um, Also, another thing I'd like to expose is um, the difference between those mines that are listed, that are well run, um, that give dividends to their shareholders, that give returns to their shareholders, albeit cyclical, as opposed to some mines that had been nationalized in one way or another or had been taken over by people without experience and literally stripped within a short period of time. And why nobody did anything about that, either in the industry or in government? But that's a discussion for next week. Please, if you've got any questions you want me to ask, you want me to discuss, please let me know. But thank you so much for joining us, Craig. Are we going to go to an ad break? And I'm going to call it a day simply because the line's so poor. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening.